This is the Roaring Elephant Podcast for the 27th of March 2018. A podcast about Apache Hadoop and the surrounding ecosystem for anyone working with or investigating big data and advanced analytics. My name is Dave, and here is my tinfoil hat wearing co host, Jon. <laughs> Hi, Dave. How are you doing? And are you ready for this pretty intense episode, I think? I think so. I think so. I think I'm prepared. I'm, prepared? I'm ready. That's yes. a first. I know. I, it doesn't happen very often, but very occasionally I prepare for things. Are you saying you don't do ample hours of preparation for every episode we put out here? No, we definitely do that. Yes, ah, absolutely. Of course. Every single one. Not things too good for our listeners, is it? Definitely not. Um, <laughs> apart from possibly this episode. Anyway, so what we're talking about today is, uh, and you can f- follow along at home should you wish, there's a, be a link in the show show notes. Um, Jan actually came across an article a while back from uh, a company called Cracked Labs or an organization called Cracked Labs and uh, authored by uh, someone called Wolfie Crystal and a uh, very number of uh, contributors and illustrators and all sorts of wonderful things. And it's based on uh, a number of different reports that have been done previously. This is just the latest iteration of it. And there's also a PDF download, which is the sort of a, a full and even more detailed article uh, if you want to go even further down the rabbit hole. But what we're talking about today is really um, the different things that happen with um, big data, primarily big data technologies used for tracking analysis, um, monitoring, and generally building up a picture of different people, individuals, classifications of people, and that sort of thing throughout their interactions with the digital world. Um, we're not going to go through the, the article itself, you know, each and every point of it in depth. You can, you can read the article yourselves. But I think we're just going to talk about some of the different things that you know, we thought were interesting or not interesting, as the case may be, as as we were um, reading the document and some of the things that uh, that popped up to us. Yeah, for me, this is mostly a, a, a conversation about the ethics behind the whole big data uh, trawling of all data available. <clears throat> as usual, it's not an issue of uh, if you can do something, should you do it? Or well, actually, that is the issue of the question of what is ethically allowable, what is uh, just quid pro quo, in my opinion. Yeah, I think for me, this article was more of a, um, and I think you you can read more or less into this depending on, you know, really how you're wired when you're reading it. But Mm -hmm. um, for me, Mm -hmm. I was reading this more about as it as gaining an understanding of the the sort of the wider ecosystem of what happens with, um, you know, personal data and preferences and how that information can be exchanged and how data brokers can plug into this and how, you know, a typical organization would may may work with those data brokers and, you know, other players in in that this part of the industry. Um, I think it gives a, a, a fairly accurate um, representation of the different parties that are involved. And, you know, we can always argue about the uh, about the, the detail beyond that. Yeah, I mean, it's a factual article because there's a lot of uh, references included uh, with every statement that's made in there. Mm-hmm. But the facts are more of the environment which in this whole place and not really factual into, I don't know, 10 out of three things like that. Yeah. And there are a couple of uh, conclusions 
ish that are being uh, derived from these facts, which I think are a bit, uh, I don't know, hopeful. I mean, maybe in the wrong or the right sense of the word, but hopeful in a way that, yes, that might theoretically be possible, but I very much doubt it if it's actually that case today already, which doesn't mean it couldn't become that case tomorrow or the next year or something like that. Yeah. So, uh, as you said, it's uh, the, the baggage you're bringing to this article will definitely influence how you look at it. <laughs> yeah, very much so. Very much so. Okay, so let's let's walk through. What we'll do is we'll walk through kind of our comments that we had at, through each of the major sections. Um, uh, one thing that I would say is that as you get towards the end of this, it does get a little bit repetitive. So I think as we go through, we'll be talking less about the later sections because really it's yeah. replaying the same content through a different lens. Um, and yeah. uh, Ain't no one got time for that, as yeah. they say. I'm going to be adding our own conclusions at the end as well and uh, give yeah, you a recommendation on so. why you should or should not read this article, yes or no. But uh, as I said, we're going to do it at the end. So you have to listen to us talk about this for half an hour and then we'll tell you if it's interesting or not. Indeed. That's how podcasts so, work. <laughs> so first up, um, the first section's really around uh, analyzing people. And when you're talking about people, um, the uh, the primary method that they're talking about here is uh, actually Facebook. Uh, or find primary uh, data source they're talking about is Facebook. And there's a, an infographic in the, uh, of course, this makes for great radio. Uh, there's an infographic in the in the document that shows the sort of uh, a, a variety of different predicted at- attributes and uh, their their accuracy. And this is just predicting personal attributes from what people have liked on Facebook. So things like ethnicity, gender, sec- uh, sexual orientation, political views, you know, all have sort of. Uh, and, and religion all have kind of 80 plus percent accuracy, whatever accuracy means in this context. Um, but it, it's, it's sort of, it, for me, sort of above 80 percent is something I could, I could rely on. Below 80 percent is, it, it all becomes a lot more gray. So things that, uh, you know, are, are apparently a lot less accurate things like alcohol usage or nicotine usage or relationship or uh, drug usage things like that so i just thought it was i mean it's not particularly surprising uh, i just thought it was interesting the way that they'd uh, the way they were portraying this yeah, and throughout the whole article they see facebook and google as the two biggest uh, gatherers of data which I think needs a little bit of, uh, I don't know, pres- how do you say this uh, detail around it? I mean, yes, they're big gatherers of social data. Yeah. But I'm pretty sure, and in the text, in the further text, a lot of other companies come up that actually have a lot more da- data in their databases than these guys have. It's a different kind of data. Yeah. Now, looking at these things, I do, I mean, what's in this infographic is true. Uh, using Facebook stuff, I've actually done these experiments myself. You can get some conclusions out of this. But one of the things you might think, uh, might, might, might also take into, uh, into consideration is that if you're uh, talking to uh, Facebook, you're using an IP address. IP addresses can be uh, related to a geographical coordinate. So yeah. I can know that or you can know that I'm in the Netherlands, in this place in the Netherlands, in this city or suburb or rural area. And mm-hmm. just having that information coupled with uh, normal census data and stuff like that, you can already add a bit of 
almost equal uh, score accuracy predict ethnicity. I mean, some environments have certain ethnicities in there. That's just yeah. a given. Things like uh, political views. I mean, if you look at any kind of election, you know that this area of tra- traditionally votes red, blue, green, whatever color you, you want there. Yeah. So, yeah, sure, you can use Facebook to do this stuff, but why should I if I can do it another way anyway? And if in that case, how is this different? Now... Uh- for me, I, I the think, value. I think though it's uh, it's something that's consistent yeah. through this document. Though mm-hmm. is um, there are potentially easier and potentially even more accurate ways of doing mm-hmm. these things. This, I believe, is more of a case of these are additional, uh, almost think enrichments that yeah, you checks and balances. I that. see it. Yeah, and, and so. Um, things like you know we talk we'll talk later about um, you know various a variety of different organizations using this for um, credit scoring now does this mean that you know you'll you'll go for a, a mortgage or a loan and they'll just ask for your Twitter ID or even maybe they'll just magically divine divine your Twitter ID and then from that they'll uh, they'll and either give you alone. a loan or mortgage Exactly. Of yeah. course, they're not going to do yeah. that. That would be ridiculous. Yeah. But could they use it as an additional attribute um, to ensure that your perceived digital footprint correlates with everything else they know about you? Yeah, absolutely. And if the, the two differ wildly, that could be an indication that maybe you haven't been exactly truthful about the way you've filled in the you know the multi-page questionnaire, maybe. Mm. So I, I, I don't yeah. think that one replaces the other. I think they're complementary. And I don't think they can replace each other because you've used a certain word a number of times and it's a very special, important word in this whole discussion. And that's the word you. Mm-hmm. A lot of times you is being used as identifying a certain person, in this case, Dave, for example, or Jan. Mm-hmm. When you're talking about these kinds of t- uh, things, you t- t- traditionally use the word you as a classification the uh, middle income white female housewife you without the name attached to it and if you're going to go for a loan and we're actually jumping ahead a bit because uh, credit assessments is coming up in a minute but if you're going for a loan you will have to fill in a lot of forms and that you is going to be you 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 really the you you no, mm-hmm. no generalization in there at all yeah since you already said they should magically divine your uh, Twitter handle or something like that to be able to connect the paper you with the Twitter you, they can't do mm-hmm. that. No. So how can you connect that up then? Well, with the stuff that you filled in, they kind of can make a general, generalized, generalized sorry, uh, you from your real you and compare that with other generalized yous on Twitter and see how you confer, how you compare. Yes. But apart and the, from the, that... Yeah. Later on, they talk about this concept called fingerprinting, mm-hmm. um, and it, it's a similar sort of it's a similar sort of idea. If if your 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 digital profile matches that of these digital profiles, exactly. then it's it's a common set of profiles. Yeah, and that's it. They will never be able to match something to you as a person, but they will match something to you as a classification, as a you belong to this group of. Because you've done this and this and that action, we have concluded you're in this kind of segregated uh, compartmentalization label, whatever. (laughs) So we will give you stuff. We would give that group of people. Yeah. 
So let's let's move on to the next section. The next section of this one is is analysing people in finance, insurance, and healthcare. And in fact, we've already kind of skipped ahead about this to talk about things like credit assessment and that side of things. Mm-hmm. And unsurprisingly, you know, in, I mean, insurance people have doing have been doing um, sort of uh, insurance based analysis for for you know a long time now. Whether it's you know you provide the data, so it's the invention of so banking, I think. <laughs> well, pretty much, but I mean. All the way from services where you you actually provide the data in form of you know things like usage based insurance where you've got a black box and that's continually spewing IoT data at your in, your insurance provider to give you a, an accurate uh, policy, um, but you know and, and things like healthcare people have whether it's just ticking a box to say whether you're a you know smoker or non smoker or you know how much how much alcohol do you consume during a, an average working week and things like that so not enough <laughs> never enough um <laughs> but there's nothing to me there's nothing particularly there's nothing new or or completely um you know novel here it's just of course these things happen and of course people you know health companies are going to be or people in the health industry are going to be sort of attempting to predict whether or not you're a high risk or a low risk, um, um, you know, think about the sort of the things like you know, 23andMe and others that will do sort of analysis of your DNA and you know predict risk factors for a variety of different conditions and that sort of thing. Of course, people want to get their hands on that sort of data because it, it provides them a, a more accurate picture of you know what your what your potential for risk is as a um, yeah, and it's, a, and it's a good an thing too. I don't be. see it as a bad thing because if you look at credit assessment, if you look at the whole banking crisis we had, that mm. was basically banks giving out loans to people that couldn't pay, that, that didn't have the resources to ever be able to pay it back. But that's that, well, but that's different though, isn't it? Because uh-huh. there's there's no saying that they didn't get a, a result returned that said this person will never ever be able to pay that back. But they gave the money out anyway. Well, I mean that—that's that's a yeah, what true, you do true. with what you do yeah. with the data is is something completely different. Yeah, but different. That, that was my yeah. point because now yeah. there's actually legal requirements. At least where I live in the Holland, the banks need to do a government uh, sanctioned uh, interrogation of you as a as a potential lender before they are allowed to give you money, and you have to have to prove that you will be able to pay it back, and the bank is not able to disregard that information. Yeah. And the banks don't really hate that too much either because uh, the banking crisis no was bad for us, yeah. for people. I mean, if you couldn't pay your loan back, that was an issue. But some banks actually went bankrupt on this as well. Yep. So it's from both ends that this, uh, they also learn, I hope they also learn their lesson that they need to actually use this data and make sure they get co- that they get correct data. And that's yeah. why they can't just uh, use a Twitter profile. They need to ask you straight up how much you make a month. I can yes. infer from your Twitter and Facebook that you're in this kind of category, but I still need you to put a number on the paper, sir. So, again, nothing new there, as you said. And, uh, no. yeah, perfect. And for the health part, uh, I mean, again, it's a good thing that they try to do all this, that they try to uh, sort you in a uh, risk category or not. Again, yes, there's a fear that people will not... Uh, and again, oh, one thing I need to talk about, about this first, perhaps, is the fact that the article is very US-centric, in my opinion. 
Agreed. Uh, Agreed. The, uh, if I'll, a lot of things I read in there, I thought, but this is not legally allowed in Europe. And I think Europe has a little bit of an advantage here where the privacy laws are a bit better put up. I don't know. I, I feel like a lot of this stuff well, didn't really apply to me. Um, but again, back to the, the health thing. Uh, yeah, I, I, if I want to have a life insurance policy, for example, they will force me to take a, a medical exam first. Yeah. And if I'm in a risk category, they'll figure it out. So you don't escape that anyway. And the good thing about health categorization is that things like MRI equipment is scarce. I know in, I think it was in the UK, I think that if you want to have an MRI, there's like a four month waiting list. I'm not, um, I'm going to pin it on the UK. I read somewhere that some country had a waiting list. I know over here as well, there is a waiting list, nothing near that long, but still, there's I only that many machines. Four, it's, I think it's about four weeks, actually. It's yeah, that's, four months. Oh, four weeks. Yeah, sorry. Quite possible. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> still, yeah. which is a long time. But that's already after a classification where they filter out the people that benefit from that or not. If they didn't do that, then yeah, we'd simply have to look at every patient as a potential risk in any category, you would have to do EEGs and MRIs on everybody. And that's just not physically feasible, financially and physically feasible. So I would actually feel better if I knew that when I go to the hospital emergency room and I fill in that questionnaire, that they actually use that with more precision and more data mining behind it than just a physician or nurse uh, looking at it uh, and deciding from his own experience. because. Yeah, people will do and fall through the cracks in these things. So the large-scale collection and use of consumer data is the next piece. And I think this this one was actually the, the first time where something actually surprised me in this. Um, so they, they group it into three major categories. Um, large online platforms, which is, as you mentioned at the start, all exactly who you'd expect. You know, Facebook, Google, and Apple, all with billions of people um, and, and individual profiles that, that they can draw on. Um, no, no surprise there. Um, the next major category is credit reporting agencies, all that have somewhere between billions and many hundreds of millions of people and or devices that they have information on. Again, no particular surprise there. Um, and then the one that I was less aware of, I guess, is is the the sort of the idea of these consumer data brokers, and the the two that actually from this point in the article onwards are regularly mentioned are Axacom, I believe I've pronounced that correctly, and the one that was most surprising to me was Oracle. <laughs> Um, Oracle itself is a massive powerhouse in the consumer data broker business. Yeah. Um, and this, this gets kind of echoed throughout the rest of the document. But, you know, Oracle has access to actually, you know, more individual unique customer IDs. Um, and that's touching on the, the idea of you that you were mentioning earlier. Um, you know, more than any of the other organizations combined. Yeah, and then that's what the thing that impressed me the most is here that in the whole article for me is that this axiom, that's actually how you pronounce it, <laughs> mm-hmm. and Oracle, they've gotten all this information through acquisitions. So at yeah. the moment, there's a very big movement where a lot of different companies that have pieces of the puzzle are being bought up or joined up with other companies or just 
by giving the data to each other or not giving yeah. but uh, transacting it that the, yeah. the the whole picture gets more complete and that's something that's been going has started since i mean a couple hundred years ago i guess when we're still doing it on paper Mm-hmm. But uh, yeah, that's the thing that big data makes possible today is that you can actually make these huge volumes even huger and get yeah, better insights, hopefully. Yeah. And that actually gave birth to these data brokers who actually don't gather the data themselves and they don't use the data themselves. They just become these kind of trading platforms where people can add and <laughs> and consume data from. Yeah. And yeah, having Oracle in there, I mean, if you look at uh, this Oracle is a unique player in here because nobody in the Oracle, which, which you would see as in the traditional Oracle space, is in there. I mean, IBM or Teradata or things like that. I mean, Oracle is a database company, right? <laughs> but apparently, they've been moving in a in a sideways motion here. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And I say, for people that are in this part of the industry, this this I'm sure is very well known, but... Uh, you know, it wasn't something that I was aware of previously. Um, and we're, we're, we're at least sidewaysly in this uh, environment. Yeah, aren't we? yeah, yeah, so very much yeah, so. They've, they've kept it well hidden. Kudos. They have, they have. <laughs> and this, but this moves on to the this the you know, the data brokers and the the business of of personal data. Um, uh, just before you go to the next one, I just want to uh, one in conclusion also saw is that only one third of the companies on the list here are the traditional social media companies. And yeah. they seem to have more than the others. But if you do the calculations, the others have more. So yeah. protecting your online internet persona is one part of the picture, but it's not the entire picture. No, very much, very much so. So the the data brokers side of things, I mean, I wouldn't necessarily spend too much time on it, apart from the fact that there's a there's a nice infographic that gives a sort of an idea of the different you know, sort of parameters that categories, um, yeah. yeah, attributes, scores, whatever, call it what you will, that the different um, brokers, Axcom and uh, Oracle actually provide. It's sort of nicely grouped, nicely outlined, um, and uh, it then breaks down the different old world and new world sources, if you like, that uh, both different providers use. Um, it's yeah, you know, it's it's interesting to understand um, you know where they're getting their data. Again, none of it's particularly new or unique or should be terribly surprising. It's just nice to kind of find it relatively clearly identified, laid out, and discussed. Yeah, the infographics in the in the article are pretty good. Actually, that's uh, too, totally on it. Totally true. But for this yep. particular one, the in my opinion at least, I think that the value of the the, the 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 gray values the ones that's been gathered since decades uh, yeah. is a lot more it's a lot higher than the the, the blue categories here which are coming from uh the let's call it social media of digital interaction let's say because the gray part is people actually volunteering that information because you want to have a driver's license you have to give them your birthday things like that yeah. so so that's where the the infographics are a bit skewed in my opinion but uh, still it's nice <laughs> it's a nice overview yeah yeah so moving on now, the next next piece is around this um, real-time monitoring of behaviors across everyday life. And again, there's this, this concept of old world versus new world um, data sources 
that uh, it, it's talking about. And obviously the the linking between those things and, you know, in the old world, it's linking between things like name and birth date and your postal address and phone number and postcode or zip code. Um, and then in, in the new world, it's it's your location or a set of locations, device IDs, various accounts or personas, email addresses, and, and obviously cookie IDs and things like that. Um, you know, it it does talk uh, also about um, some of the additional services and how to how to actually visualize what your own um, digital tracking or profile uh, might look like, and they they actually do refer to uh, something called a panopticon, which I know. Yon, uh, you've actually uh, you've actually installed to find out what what wonderful tracking services have been uh, <laughs> been following you around. Yeah, there's a little extension called Lightbeam, which you can put on uh, Chrome and Firefox browsers and stuff like that. And I've put it on my system uh, for a couple of weeks just to see what happens. Mm-hmm. And yesterday I kind of took the tally, and apparently in those three weeks I visited myself 516 different sites which is mm-hmm. more reasonable. And actually, 2,423 third-party sites were involved in that. <laughs> now, some <laughs> of those are just external libraries, and that's just in there. But a lot of little icons coming up there were totally unknown to me <laughs> and yeah. did have little s- scary names like uh, Electric Gathering and stuff like that. So, <laughs> yeah. But yeah. Uh, if you want to have some insight in uh, how that works, you can do that. Now, it also has a little button called uh, tracking protection. So there's a little bit of a business case behind it. So I'm not entirely sure how that works. But it did make me think and actually conclude that if I look at the infographic they have there, again, with the gray blue side, the things since decades and the things in recent years, mm-hmm. the biggest difference between two categories is in how far you can go yourself in avoiding that gathering. The gray part of it, the since decades part, that is where you, for instance, example here is have a subscription to a newspaper. That means a monetary commitment has been made. You have filled in a, a, a subscription form somewhere and you gave them that data and you have to. There's no other way of doing that. The blue side, that's the online stuff. And there's a lot of tools out there today, things like ad blocking, VPNs, uh, cookie blocking, stuff like that, having not the same. I, personally, for instance, I could be considered paranoid because what I do, and this is a hint, no, you can do this. surely not. <laughs> I have my own domain name. I have multiple ones, but I have my private domain name. And whenever I subscribe to an online service, I make a new email address with the name of that service as the the name of the email address. So if I go to, uh, I have a Google account, which is called Google at my domain name. I have a, I don't have a Facebook account, but if I had a Facebook account, it would be called, it would be registered under the email address, Facebook at my domain name, my domain name. And I can guarantee you at the, at the moment, this moment that they aren't gathering things on domain name levels, or at least not in any way that's make it me, making me directly identifiable. But just doing things like that allows me to really catch if my, if a certain vendor or a certain service has been hacked. Cause if I start getting spam on, I don't know, yeah. Google adds my domain name. I know that that specific part was hacked and I could actually tell them, hey guys, that totally broke into your, uh, your name list. But doing things like this gives you a lot of uh, control, it can give you control over these things. And that's yeah. also why I think there's so much, uh, I think that's why one reason I can think of why there's a lot of emphasis these days on you have to be in control of your internet or your online persona 
Because you can, because you do have some tools in there, and a lot of people don't know the tools exist. On the gray so, side, you don't have that control. Yeah, so I suppose the two things I would mention, though, are you are going to be significantly in the minority of internet users <laughs> that, that go to that level of extreme. That's uh, not extreme. Not, That's what I think is normal. <laughs> I know. I know it's what you think is. Yeah, normal, I know. I'm just making but, a point. <laughs> but, but for the for the majority of people on the internet, um, you know, they have they have one email address and they use it for everything. Now, I'm not saying that's a saying that's a good idea, but that that's the reality of where probably at least ninety plus percent of of people uh, behave. Mm-hmm. Um, so, That's also what gives this kind of article its real usefulness, its real, its real power, because it's written in a way that everybody can read, even if you're not an, a digital exactly. expert. You can just read this thing and actually be impressed and, okay, this is going on. Maybe I should oh, yeah. look at the things around it and understand what's happening there. Very much so, very much so. Um, but the other thing I would say is that it depends very much on on whether or not you know email address is given something um, that... Uh, is given enough weight in in however your digital footprint or profile or identity in inverted commas is calculated uh, or categorized or however it might be. Well, the, the so, email address isn't as an email address, but it is used as an ID or as a pseudonymized, uh, anonymized ID. Because uh, if you look at, uh, if you're an Android user, you have to use your Google ID, which is an email address, which is probably also the same yeah. email address you're using for your Gmail and stuff like that. So that way allows you, within one company at least, to already have this connection. Yeah. And, uh, but yeah. When, when you're categorizing people or profiling people, um, the, it's probably... It's just one data point. It's it's you, know, th- you do more work to obfuscate yourselves mm-hmm. with things like cookie blockers and VPNs and all kinds of other other pieces to make life difficult for people that try to track you. Um, but, yeah, that's the goal, right? Yeah, exactly. But you know, I I still I still think that there's probably a significant amount of tracking that is able to happen even with those. Uh, attempts to uh, sure to prevent it. But one, is that a bad thing? And two, maybe we're asking for it. Because is that a bad thing? Uh, that's the whole thing, uh, the whole uh, the phrase about if you're not paying for it, you're not the customer, you're a product. A lot Correct. of stuff on the internet is free. Well, free is free is free. I mean, you're still paying for it somehow. And the exactly. way you pay for it is by giving a piece of your anonymity, by giving a piece of your information to that provider of that service. I mean, I love Google Maps. I use it all the time, which means Google knows every moment of the day where I am. It's a balancing act. It is, very much so. And Um, I I couldn't agree more. And if I go to a shopping website, I I enjoy having, oh, you bought this, have you thought about getting this? Because 10 years ago, that was horrible. Yeah, other people that bought this also bought this. Yeah. Um, Oh, you've never looked at things like this, but but maybe yeah. maybe this might be interesting to you. And I like it better today than 10 years ago, because 10 years ago you got these generic recommendations of the stuff they wanted to, to shift. These days, yeah. with machine learning, with the data that they have, more often than not, I get a decent recommendation. Now, they're yeah. still lagging behind with once I've bought the thing, stop recommending it. <laughs> yes. I tell you, the, the, there are two things that frustrate me. One is I've bought this thing. I 
Definitely don't need another of these kind of things. The other one is when when someone asks someone else asks you to look at something <laughs> you personally have no interest in, and then forever yes, onwards yes, you yes, can't yes. avoid um, adverts or whatever it is about that particular service or topic. Yeah, but the forever onwards has actually changed the, in, in a good way recently because I have more data. I've sensed that it doesn't happen that often anymore that uh, I get this for a couple of weeks, two, three weeks, but then it kind of ages off and disappears again. Yeah. I mean, I'm no, I'm not seeing any more pictures of ladies underwear anymore. Well, you know, maybe, <laughs> maybe they'll correct your profile and you'll start seeing it once more. Yeah, if I talk long enough to you, right? <laughs> by, by association, I will be classified as a whatever. <sighs> Wonderful person. <laughs> yes, <I'm sure>. probably. <laughs> has to happen one day. Well, anyway. actually, that, that, that brings us nicely along to um, the, the linking, matching, and uh, combining of digital profiles. Um, mm -hmm. So this, this is where things uh, get back to the the topic that you were talking about earlier around you and how you define you and um, this, this idea of unique identifiers and, and all that sort of thing. Um, the, there's a, a, an infographic that talks about a variety of different methods that people use to identify people, individuals in some way, shape or form. So everything from you know, device IDs, email addresses, phone numbers, um, credit cards numbers and then all the different IDs that a huge variety of different services use or or provide um, in, including the sort of um, the IDs provided by um, things like the data brokers that have built up a picture of who you are and you know you can be referred to by one of their IDs as well um, but the the um, one of the things that's mentioned right towards the end of this section is the sort of the fairly common practice that I certainly know, know very well exists um, because many organizations certainly um, that I've spoken to use it, which is this sort of concept of hashing um, various things into some sort of alphanumeric code. So whether it's a, an email address or a phone number, you know, that's that in itself is not stored. So exactly as you said right towards the beginning of, of when we were talking, you know, there are very few mentions of Dave Russell in sort of databases like this, but there, there could well be very, uh, very many entries that, you know, correspond to my, uh, my name or my phone number or whatever, when it's hashed into some sort of alphanumeric code. And this of course gives them the ability to say, you know, we've anonymized all of your, you know, you know, your, your details are not, are not stored here. Everything is anonymized and de-identified and other sort of words they'll use to make you feel warm and fuzzy. But the reality is that, you know, if they get a piece of data about you, whether that's a, a phone number or an email address or a, a you know, a postcode or a device ID or, or, or your name or date of birth or whatever, you know, they can, they can hash that and get a number of responses back. And then based on any other data, they can probably filter that down to fairly reasonable, uh, having a fairly reasonable idea of who you in inverted commas are. 
Yeah, but that's actually the, the, the single part of the article that I had the most problems with, because reading it uh, in a bold that says there, a person can still be recognized again. Uh, that's not true. As you said, it's the, uh, between air quotes, you that can be connected up with other mm-hmm. between air quotes, you's. It can, it's by law and GDPR will make so sure. It's supposed to make sure of that. Let's keep it a bit, uh, careful there. <laughs> uh, yeah. but even today by law, and I've had these discussions with customers by law, they are not allowed to have any kind of system in there that can re, reconnect this virtual classification you to a real natural person you because the moment they can do that they're breaking anonymity laws so the Mm -hmm. thing where he says that that this article says that it's more of a pseudonym yes they are allowed to do one-way hashings that always hash to the same result but they can never have a backwards hashing back that can rediscover the original piece of information correct correct correct. that's a big big difference yeah, yeah, no, absolutely. But if I suddenly pop up again and they one-way hash my provided details, that one-way hash leads to the... The same profile. Yeah, yeah. Exactly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But that's not exactly a bad thing. No, it's not a bad thing. I, I, I'm not arguing that, and to be honest, I'm not arguing that anything <laughs> we've talked about is bad. Yeah, and basically... it is. It is what it is. It is the way the world operates now. And, and it's actually what cannot, we want. Because the, yeah. the, the, the very easiest way a company can do this, which is the way that we all actually help them to do this, is by creating a profile on that website. Yeah. Wherever you go, you have to create an account first, and you want that. Because if I have bought something at this online shop, I want to be able to log in and see my past uh, orders and, and cancel one or send one back or something like that. So they don't even have to do this kind of anonymization thing. You yourself have logged in with your own ID. <laughs> yeah. Yep. But again, if you look at that as more of a, a trolling data thing, then yes, it is it is a it is something you need to be aware of. Yeah. That yeah. people can correlate your behavior, but they shouldn't, in any legal fashion, be able to correlate that back to you as a natural person. Sure. Definitely. Um so I don't know what you feel like, but for, for me, the rest of the sections, um, so section seven is around uh, managing consumers' behaviors, personalization, and testing. Well, that, that actually had one interesting thingy. Yeah. I'm not sure if, actually, I read the PDF as well. I'm not entirely sure if this section also contains a piece on experimentation on uh, people there. It, 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 it does. Yeah. I don't know whether it was this one or whether it was, they do mention the, um, you know, the, the 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 yeah. Facebook news feeds yes. where they they sent more positive articles to one set and negative yeah. articles to another set and then tried to see if it actually influenced um, you know people's behaviours and yeah. surprise surprise it did and and uh, this is one point where I have to say yes is it ethical to do this it's not a problem for for your privacy or anything like that because they were never targeting Dave as the optimist and Jon as the pessimist no they were yeah. targeting a random user give him yeah. some input and see what the output is so it's not a privacy yeah. issue but this but is I think, close to bullying I think it, actually well i think you have to frame this under the expectation of the service that you receive from a particular brand, um, do you always expect that to be consistent? Do you understand that they will have A-B testing going on within that and that you could be part of that? Um, 
it's yeah 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 no 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 no. you don't get there because the first time i read this thing i also thought yeah a b testing that's what all companies do and that's what they should do that's how they can improve their product but this did not have the a b testing result in mind it was purely a can we do this just for the knowledge of can we do this and that's where the ethical thing comes in Sure, but I suppose I'm thinking more of things like um, you know, there's a very there's a famous set of A/B testing that um, Spotify did, you know, a good few years ago now, which was around um, whether or not people prefer large chunks of music and then large chunks of adverts, mm-hmm. or small chunks of music, small chunks of adverts, but obviously more more regularly. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And that, that's great. everybody had very specific understanding of what people would prefer. And actually, it turns out when they did A-B testing, didn't make any difference at all whatsoever. Yeah, so That's A-B um, testing. I'm totally in yeah. favor of A-B testing. No problem with that. But the fact that Facebook made sure that certain people, random people, got to see more positive or negative messages to see if they would post more positive or negative messages that had no direct link to anything Facebook wanted to change in their, how the feeds were shown or anything like that. I mean, it was a blatant manipulation of what they showed those users just to see if they could get an effect out of it. And yeah, that, I mean, the Spotify thing, <laughs> I, I don't care if it's Facebook. I mean, for the same count, Twitter has done it as well. I don't know. I don't want to know. But your, your Spotify thing was Spotify looking at, okay, how can we give the user a better experience? We can just switch over and see if everybody hates it or not, or do both at the same time with the traditional A-B testing and then decide on real measurable results, which was the best approach. Great. The Facebook thing, I, I think they're crossing the line there a little bit. I mean, just make it totally ridiculously uh, ex- uh, exaggerated here. What if, and again, k- kill me if you, no, don't kill me, uh, hate me if you want to. Yeah, you can hate me. Um, what if Facebook sent a certain person a lot of negativism and the person committed suicide? As far as you know, it didn't happen, <laughs> but they would have been directly, at least a little bit responsible for making it worse. Because that's basically what they found out is that by doing this, they actually could make people more depressed <laughs> or less depressed. So, see, that's where the ethics thing for me comes in. And there was no real gain for them out of this thing. This was just playing with people. So, yeah. Again, I'm not going to say, I'm not going to make a decision, a conclusion out of this because everybody has to make his own damn mind. But uh, yeah. Yeah. So I think there needs to be, a, there needs to be a reason for doing A-B yeah. testing and not just as a science experiment on all of your users, <laughs> but to try and improve the service for your users. I mean, now, there's we, a place we, for these kind of tests, but I don't yeah. think Facebook should do it. <laughs> well, w- what we don't know is we don't, we don't know the internals of what was being discussed around that. Maybe there was something else that they haven't released around that. Who knows? I don't know. As far but, as I remember, I think I remember this from when it was in the news and it was actually just Facebook trying to see if they could do it. Yeah, maybe. I. Who knows? Anyway, what I would say is that from this section, the thing that I thought was, was quite useful is the there is an infographic around... Um, utilizing data analytics and personalization to manage customers. And there's sort of a, um, a series of feeds on the, the sort of the top side in purple. And then a sort of, um, 
a funnel and some cogs that sort of processing the data and sorting and ranking people and and sort of various different inputs and outputs from it that I thought was a really nice um, uh, nice depiction of um, what you would do in this space. Mm-hmm. But the most interesting thing, of course, was uh, is on the right hand side, um, which was basically looking at this you know this real time decision making. Um, you know, one of the outputs of this is basically getting rid of or, you know, um, putting less focus on what is considered to be unwanted or low value um, customers to an organization so that they don't, you know, spin lots of cycles on servicing customers that are, you know, really just sucking services from an organization and, and not actually delivering revenue back which is something that we all know happens. Uh, but uh, I thought it was interesting that it was called out here. Yeah, I mean, you could see it as a, a typical description of the the customer journey use case, perhaps yeah. a little bit like yeah, that, yeah. something like that. So yeah, it's a, it's an, uh, I'm not going to reuse it because it has too much other stuff on it, but it's a nice representation. Yeah. And yeah, the getting rid of, it's, it's a good and a bad thing, right? I mean, as a valued customer, I think it's good that they actually give me more yeah. airtime. Yeah. But yes, there are also things where I'm not a valued customer and uh, I get hit by the same phone menu for 10 minutes longer than the valued customer, perhaps. Yeah. So, uh, yeah. But on the other hand, we all want cutthroat pricing in the world. And the only way Indeed. that people can do that is by optimizing. And optimizing means things like this. Yeah. And, uh, so, I mean, for me, the, the remainder of the sections really at that point, tend to, to go yeah, more. Yeah, I've more rinse and repeat. <laughs> yeah, yeah. And uh, so they, the, re- the remaining sections for me continue mm. to repeat, and I would, uh, you know, by mm. all means, if you found the rest of the interesting article, then then finish it off. Yeah, but well, the uh, one thing I would uh, pick out of there is uh, there's a certain tendency in the article to, to, to kind of label fraud detection as a bad thing, while I think fraud detection is a good thing. I actually had it happen, or well, my wife had it happen uh, a couple of weeks ago where she went to a website to buy something and the credit card transaction was cancelled. It, it didn't work. It didn't go through. Mm-hmm. So at that point, she thought, okay, maybe I've paid twice. Now we're not like, I'm going to call the credit card company. And she actually, they actually told her, well, no, we blocked that because that website was listed or well, it's a known uh, scam website. So we don't allow that. Yeah. I think that's good. I think it is good. And fraud detection on all kind of things works the same way. So I think that's actually a reason why you should do more of this stuff. But again, in an ethical framework. Yeah. yeah. So I think the, for me, the, the, some of the core points I'd like to make really clear is the, first of all, this, this I think was a nice article in that it, even if you have no background on this, you can read it and understand the kinds of things that are happening in the background. And I think from that perspective, I think it's really quite quite useful and quite valuable. Yeah, for me, I have a little bit of a fear that people that are totally new to the subject matter will get really scared, which is a good thing for the shock value. But I I can't put myself in the place of a person that doesn't know the space because I do know about the space. <laughs> mm-hmm. So that's my only fear I have that it's maybe a bit I don't know in, influen- influential is perhaps a bad word. Inflammatory. That's too more too 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 forceful a word. <laughs> but it has it has a certain opinion that it tries to push forward. And Again, if you can't I, I think. It, uh, I so I think that that comes with the lens that you read yes, it with. Uh, for, exactly. for me. 
I didn't read it. I didn't interpret it that way. Uh, for me, it came across as far more, far more neutral and just an explanation of these things are happening. Um, so, I, yeah, if you may, again, maybe if you're wired that way, you would see it one way more than another. Um, but the really this this to me echoes, and we've said it, I think, a number of times on this session already. Now, um, that if you're not paying for a service, you are almost certainly the product and not the customer. And that's, you know, these, these, these free services like, uh, Google Mail and Docs and all these other fabulous things and Facebook and Twitter that exist out there. Um, you know, they're, they're free mm-hmm. in inverted commas because the, the data that you give these organizations through your usage of the platforms is actually valuable and okay. can be monetized and is monetized by those organizations in the kinds of frameworks that are discussed in this article. Yeah, and it's also clearly reflected in the fact that on mobile phones, a lot of the content you can consume there is free. And yeah. the reason behind that is, is that a mobile phone is something you don't or very rarely lend to somebody else. Yeah. So whatever you do on your phone, your mobile device, let's call it that, can be much more reliably be related to a certain individual than a PC because a PC can be the home PC and everybody uses it, has multiple accounts and stuff like that. On the phone, yeah. it's a lot harder. So a lot of this free services are being directed to your mobile devices because it is a better tracking device. Yep. Be aware of that. And yeah, yeah, nothing is free in this world. Yeah. Except our respect for our listeners. They get that. Of free. course. Although, no, we do want them to listen to this. So see. <laughs> <laughs> Yeah, no, one other thing that uh, was less prevalent in the web version, but is a bit more discussed in the PDF version, is uh, the influence of GDPR and the difference between EU and EUS uh, uh, legislation. So if you want to have more information on that, I would advise you to dive into the PDF, which has more on that. Um, yeah, but for me, the biggest takeaway here is uh, people, educate yourself. Don't be afraid of this stuff. You know it's going to happen. It's gonna, it is part of, the, of, of your life today be knowledgeable about the thing and know what you're doing. If you put stuff on Facebook, if you put stuff on the internet, the internet's memory is infinite. It will never be forgotten once it's up there. So keep that in mind. The Wayback Machine knows all. Uh, Well, unless, no, it never finds anything I'm looking for. So I'm not sure if I'm, yeah, you you told me I'm probably atypical. So I'm an outlier. (laughs) I'm proud of it. (laughs) Fair enough. Fair enough. Uh, yeah, so we, I hope we kind of added some 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 weight to the whole story and given people more impetus to get informed about this stuff. If you're new to it, have a read in this. But unless you have anything else to add? No, nothing else from me. Then that is about all the time we have for today yet again. We hope you enjoyed this serving of bite-sized ethical big data. We'll be back next week with a new episode. Until then, please go to www.roaringelephant.org where you can find more information, including a feedback form. And you can follow us on Twitter using the AttitudeCast tag. You can send us email to podcast at roaringelephant.org and send us anything you want to talk about. If you liked this kind of more opinionated podcast, let us know. If you hated it, let us know too. We take all information equally. Until next time, my name is John. And my name is Dave. I look forward to talking to you next week. See you then. Next time without my tinfoil hat.
when I leave this in. <laughs> yeah. 